Welcome to the Masters in Psychology podcast, where psychology students can learn from psychologists, educators, and practitioners to better understand what they do, how they got there, and hear the advice they have for those interested in getting a graduate degree in psychology. I'm your host, Brad Schumacher, and today we welcome Dr. Damon Silas to the show. Dr. Silas has been a psychologist for over 15 years and is licensed in North Carolina, DC, and Maryland. He owns his own private practice in North Carolina and specializes in anxiety and trauma as well as grief and loss. In fact, he wrote a book from morning to night, Overcoming Loss, and has a blog and many videos in various topics. Today, we will learn more about his academic journey, advice for those interested in the field of psychology, emotional freedom techniques, and discuss why he is currently in Germany. Dr. Silas, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much, Brad. It's so great to be here. I'm excited to have this conversation. So Germany, I, I've done some research <laughs> on you. Um, I, I know that you at one point had some family in Germany. Is that why you're there now? Or if not, tell us why. No, it just so happens that um, the job that I have now uh, coincides with also having family in, in Germany. So it's a nice fit. Um, and it's, it's work I've actually done before in the past, uh, probably 12, 13 years ago. It's been a while. Uh, so it's a return to work I've done before working with military families. And, um, and it also is nice that I have family close, close by as well. That's an added benefit, being able to work in the same area that, uh, and travel and then see your family at the same time. Absolutely. So I usually ask some uh, questions kind of in chronological order about, hey, why did you go to this school, that school? How did you make those decisions? But the first thing I want to ask you is, what originally sparked your interest in the field of psychology? Uh, so this is an interesting one. Uh, first and foremost, I, I feel like I was always the person who uh, people would come to and, and talk to about their issues, their problems, whatever was stressing them out. Uh, and that was from the time when I was in high school, if not even before. And so I was always the shoulder that people leaned on when they needed. And um, so that was the first thing. The second thing is I had to choose a major <laughs> in college. <laughs> and I was like, uh, let's do psychology. Um, so that was kind of, uh, there's actually a little bit more to that story, but I can share it a little later. Uh, but that's primarily the, the main reason is uh, just knowing how people would come to me for help and, and support and um, figuring I might as well make a career out of it. Well, that's a good story. A lot of people, uh, believe it or not, um, start saying the same thing. I seem to be the person who people come to to talk and release and everything. And so it's, it, there's a reoccurring theme with a, a lot of my guests and, and people that I talk to. So that's interesting. I see mm -hmm. that you received your uh, a Bachelor of Science in Psychology from Howard University in Washington, D.C. Why did you select Howard University? That one's really easy. Um, they provided a full ride for me. <laughs> uh, so I kind of went where the money was. Uh, no, but <laughs> that is definitely a huge reason. Uh, but the other reason was, you know, I, for me, it was important to go to a school that supported me in all ways, not only financially, but emotionally and, and um, you know, where I was in my development at that time. I grew up in, I actually went to school in a primarily a white area. 
Uh, so out of, <clears throat> excuse me, about 1600 people in the high school, there were probably 10 people of color. Mm -hmm. um, three of those were myself and my siblings. <laughs> um, so there weren't many. And so for me, it was important to uh, be around other people who looked like me and Howard University being a historically black college uh, and university, HBCU, that actually provided me with that, <clears throat> that, um, that type of education and support that I needed at that time in my life. And, and I, it's interesting that you mentioned that. Um, I, I read the first part of your book and uh, acknowledgments and, and everything were in there. And you talked about your siblings and you talked about your dad and your mom. And we're going to get to one of the uh, interesting um, phrases that your, your dad, Ernest T. Silas, always said in, in <laughs> later on in the interview as well. But uh, um, one thing that a lot of our guests usually ask is, yes, money is the issue. And I'm glad that you touched on the importance of having that that supportive community and and tools and resources available to you in the school that you're attending uh not only think about the money sure that's important but i'm glad that you mentioned that because i think that's also important for uh prospective graduate students to take into account when they start searching for grad schools absolutely <laughs> yeah and i had uh, other other schools that gave me and offered me some money um, that I was considering. And again, you know, I think to me, it was, it was about the full picture and it, could they support me in everything that I needed at that time in my life. And, and I also knew that I wanted to be in a major city um, and DC was a good fit. My sister had been in New York city. And to me, that felt too big. Uh, I was in the Boston area and Boston, I, ne I needed to get out of there. Uh, mm -hmm. And so DC felt like a really good fit for me. And where did you grow up then? Did you have to travel far to go to your uh, uh, Howard University or? Well, uh, so I did my high school years in the in Massachusetts. So the South Shore of Boston, just south of Boston, about 30 minutes mm -hmm. and um, kind of close to Plymouth. Okay. And um, but I didn't grow up there my entire life. My dad was in the military. And so we moved around a lot. So I, I grew up before we moved to or back to Massachusetts, I actually grew up a lot in Oklahoma and then was kind of back and forth between Oklahoma and Massachusetts and then lived a little bit in California. So kind of all over. Okay. A wide variety. I guess that a lot of people uh, like moving. A lot of people don't. Was that hard on you when you were growing up or did you enjoy it? It was, it was both. Um, it was hard and I enjoyed it. So <laughs> I would always uh, severely dislike leaving family and friends behind, but I was also excited about the adventure that awaited us um, and being able to meet new people. So it was kind of a combination for me of like not wanting to leave, but also being open to the, the newness that, that was there. So getting back to kind of your, your chronological movement in your academic career, Howard University in Washington, D.C., you didn't have to travel far to uh, go on and, and uh, earn your doctorate in psychology at the George Washington University. But how can you, can you remember the first time you considered going on to earn your graduate degree? Or did you always know that when you entered your undergrad? No, I had no idea. 
Okay. So what sparked uh, that interest? Was, How did you, when did you know that I need to continue doing this? <laughs> uh, my senior year, it okay. was actually, I was, I was waiting for my advisor. I, I had to talk to my psychology advisor about something. And, and while I was waiting, somebody was sitting there and they said, oh, where are you going to grad school? And I said, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I said, what is, what is that? <laughs> um, so I literally had no idea uh, that there was this thing called grad school and that, you know, in order to further myself and my career, that it would behoove me to go ahead and, and attend. Um, so they told me, well, typically, and then I spoke to my advisor about this afterwards, but um, sure. said typically, you know, for psychology, once you get out with a bachelor's, you can't really do too much with it if you want to do some, you know, deep work um, in the field um, of psychology. And so um, at that point, I was like, okay, well, let me, let me start to apply. And I immediately started the application process and fortunately got into uh, GWU. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, because I didn't, I never had family who went through and completed college. Um, and so being kind of the first of my family to do so, not really knowing much, I was always and always am <laughs> seemingly like just swimming blindly, but like ready for whatever, I guess, similarly to moving, ready for the next adventure and what awaits me. Well, that's, that's an interesting story. It's, it's funny that, uh, what, what grad school, I've never heard that term before. It's <laughs> turned you on to that idea. I no so. idea. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember, you know, it's in, in memoirs and stuff, you, you could, uh, use that nice story. And, and if you remembered the person who said, where are you going to grad school? You know, Brad Schumacher asked me, where are you going to grad school? And that opened up my eyes. You know, you could use that as kind of a story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so why why GWU then? Uh, you said you applied. You started immediately applying. Do you remember how many schools you applied to roughly? And then why did you end up at GWU? Yeah, I believe it was about eight schools, six to eight. Okay. And um, I applied to GW for a couple of reasons. A, it was in DC, and I I loved DC, and I had gotten used to being there. Um, I also applied to like the University of Maryland and some other local colleges. Um, and, and, and then I applied to around that time. So that was 1996 into 1997. So it was a while back and the PsyD degree had recently come out mm -hmm. and people didn't really know too much about it. Um, including myself, but I did know that it, the difference between a PhD program at that time and PsyD as I was learning was PhD was more research-based. Mm -hmm. So if I wanted to do more research in the field of psychology, I could really focus my energy on getting into a PhD program. But then the more that I heard about a PsyD program, I learned that it was more about the hands-on experience of being a psychologist and being mm -hmm in the field of psychology. And for me, the importance of sitting with somebody in therapy, um, helping them through whatever it was that they were going through, that to me uh, was more important than doing research. And also like, I just don't love 
working with numbers <laughs> statistics was my least favorite <laughs> right right so it's interesting that you brought up society because that was one of my questions is how did you decide and, and you just answered that and uh, i've spoken to many different people about hey you know some of them have a society phd and i asked them why and and uh, a lot of them i'm, I'm getting the sense of when society first came out and was offered it wasn't as respected as it is now. Mm -mm. Uh, it was almost seen like, here's PhD, here's PsyD. That's and then right. Throughout, throughout the years, it's gained more and more in its reputation, uh, saying, hey, it's, it's the equivalent of, because it is a, you're earning your doctorate, but mm -hmm. it allows you to focus down this lane instead of this lane, just like you were talking about. So um, exactly. I, I don't. I don't want our audience to think that a PsyD is less than a PhD in any way, shape, or form. It's just a different way and path to follow. Yep. Yeah. And that's, and honestly, I wanted to, I could have gone a year earlier. I could have gone right after undergraduate um, because I was accepted, but I deferred for a year because I, for me, I wanted to wait until the first class uh, went through their program or just wait for an additional year to kind of see how it played out see you know just make sure that the the program itself was accredited um, to because again that it was brand new I think I was in the third class mm -hmm. um, of, of folks who graduated from that program and uh, yeah for me I just needed to wait and and get some space from from school but as you said uh, knowing that it's just as legitimate and, um, you know, worthy of a degree as, as a PhD, it was just newer at that time. And so there were a lot of unknowns. Mm -hmm. Yep, definitely. So what advice after going through graduate school, what advice would you offer those who are seeking a master's or a doctorate degree in psychology? Yeah, I would just advise that people really weigh why you're doing the work. Um, and what it is you want to get out of the work. And I have people asking me about this all the time and saying, you know, trying to figure out, do they go in a master's program, a doctorate program? Do they go into social work versus psychology? And it's really kind of weighing the long term of what you want. Um, for me, it was I, I wanted freedom to whether it was engage in assessments and, and do evaluations, um, do the clinical work of sitting with somebody in a therapy room. Um, having the potential to have uh, freedom as my own boss, you know, in private practice potentially. And that was, you know, just kind of me thinking ahead because I had worked for people for so many years after I received my degree. But um, really just thinking about what it is that you want out of it. If you want to do research and really impact policy and impact, um, you know, the different programs that, that are coming out or, or looking into different techniques and tools and how they impact people positively or negatively in whatever way. Um, it's just weighing wh why you want to go into the field. I also know for me, what was helpful is I went through my own therapy while I was at Howard University. I went through their counseling program um, or their, their counseling center to go through my own therapy and that to me was extremely important in my healing process. And so I wanted to be able to give that gift to other people as well. So again, it's just kind of taking your own story, taking your own, whatever it is you're dealing with in your life and figuring out what path it is that you desire. 
very good advice. And we're going to talk about your book a little bit later, but uh, I, I don't want to forget asking you this question. In hindsight, would you do anything different when searching for graduate schools and programs? And if so, please explain. Honestly, I don't think I would. Um, I really, I, I, I love my program and all, all that it had to offer at that time. Um, obviously it's evolved, it's changed since 1997, 98. Um, so, you know, they've made some changes, but at that time, that's exactly what I needed. Um, that's exactly what I was looking for. And I honestly wouldn't make any change. The only change I would make is how long I've been paying on my student loan mm -hmm. debt. Right. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, and I guess what I was getting at there with that question is thinking back to, I know you said that you applied to six or eight, you know, of them, the, the process that you went through for doing that, did you find in hindsight, is there anything that you could have done a little bit better or more efficiently or anything in that process of actually um, searching for a program and then applying for a program? That's what I was kind of looking at there. And uh, I, I, I didn't want to put you on the spot and say, did you like your program? And then somebody you know, an alum <laughs> sees this and says, what do you mean? We had a great time at that spot. That's right. not what I was after. <laughs> 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 got it uh, well and to answer that question i part of me would say if i had more time to do some research into other programs that would have been great however I, honestly i think not having much time to think about it but just kind of being forced almost to to apply and and figure out like in a shorter amount of time that probably was better for me because i don't do well with a lot of options and choices like sometimes it gets overwhelming so having to 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 go under the uh, because by that point a lot of the applications were due very shortly after i found that out so i had to knock those out very quickly if i gave myself more time to worry about it to think about it um I don't know if I would have done that well with it. So. <laughs> well, that's nice. That's a nice self-assessment. And, and the big thing is knowing your, yourself or knowing oneself. And so some people need that time, others don't. And so it's kind of a blessing in disguise now that you look back at it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And now you have your own private practice, uh, Damon Silas Psychology. And on your website, it says Energy Psychology and Mindfulness Therapy. So when did you know that you wanted to start your own business? So, um, and I'll just, a couple of a couple points of clarification. Uh, I'm, so while I'm, like the private practice work that I'm doing is very minimal now. Um, it's more so because I'm in this, this new role as of September of this year, which brings me to Germany. Mm -hmm. um, but up until that point, I had been in private practice for five years. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was a natural evolution in my career. Um, I had worked for many years for school systems. And as I said, for the military prior to that, um, as a contractor and um, at that point, I was ready to fly. I was ready to be on my own, uh, ready to be my own boss and, and, and do some of this exploration that I wasn't necessarily able to do when I was working with or under other people. 
um, it was scary. It was unknown. And it was also um, an adventure of just finding my way along as I went along. And um, so, yeah, it was pretty much when I moved from the DC area to North Carolina mm -hmm. is when I went into private practice. Um, I had been in DC for over 20 years at that point and moving to North Carolina was brand new. I moved there with my husband and we didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody there. I didn't have a license there. Um, I didn't have a job there. Um, so I literally just jumped in the deep end and was like, I'm just gonna find my way uh, somehow. I'm, I'm gonna figure it out. And, um, and I did, and it was really tough and challenging, but it forced me out of my comfort zone of constantly working for somebody else. Um, you, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. There, there's a slight delay in the uh, Zoom, but um, you mentioned that it was kind of scary at, at, at one point as well. And so uh, my follow-up question would be, well, what was the most challenging aspect of, of starting and, and even running your business? Now, I know I should say, in all fairness, you are correct. As soon as you go to your website, there is a little, um, 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 I don't know if it's a window, it's just a, an existing window that says, hey, please be aware that I'm uh, due to changes um, in, in working, going to Germany is what you're referencing, um, no longer accepting any new clients. So in all fairness, I wanted to point that out. So I didn't do that. But what were some of the most challenging aspects of starting and, and running your own uh, private practice? Whew. Uh, <laughs> a lot of first, them, a lot, everything, yeah, Brad, a lot. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> but it was all great. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. Um, really, a, it was finding clients. Um, and so yeah, I took a training prior to, to going to North Carolina, um, which I, we can probably get into a little bit later, but in one of the training trainings, the, uh, the person who trained me in this particular technique said, you know, you should definitely go to the Chamber of Commerce, wherever you are, just go to the Chamber of Commerce, let people know you exist. And uh, so when we moved, we actually lived right across the street from the Chamber of Commerce. I never had gone to one, uh, never knew what they even were or did. Uh, but I went and I started networking. And from there, I networked with another group. And from there, I networked with another group and just got in with all of these different groups so that people knew who I was and what I did. And the more that I did that, the more people would say, oh my goodness, like I know somebody who could benefit from therapy or this or that. So, I mean, it was just really getting my name out there and re really getting, being busy with putting myself out there and saying yes to a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that was the first part, just getting the clients. And then the second part, as I got the clients, it was now, how do I take care of the financial piece to this? Um, and that includes also dealing with insurance, mm -hmm. like dealing with being paneled, dealing with, um, you know, just dealing with insurance companies in general. And so eventually I hired somebody and that was thankfully part of some of the networking groups I was a part of. I said, does anybody know people who do billing? Mm -hmm. um, and somebody said, yep, I do. Check these people out. And so it was, it was really about knowing that I was laying the foundation and planting the seeds a couple of years before I even needed those things to come to fruition. Um, but knowing and trusting that they would come to fruition and, and that sure enough, they did. So, um, but yeah, it was really doing those things, getting out there, networking and 
delegating work to people who have trained to do have been trained to do that work i'm not i don't deal with insurance or numbers very well so <laughs> like if there's somebody else out there who could do it that's what i needed yeah so very very good advice i i noticed a theme on um, multiple um videos that you have as well as your book as well as what you have on your about page um, uh, that you focus more on anxiety and trauma, including PTSD, as well as grief and loss. So what, what made you gravitate toward these areas? Hmm. Yeah, so it's, and I know it's a lot of, they, they seem like pretty different areas, but I think they're all interrelated and cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, so grief and loss primarily was because I experienced my own grief and loss Um, as I wrote about in my book from morning to night and um, you may ask this later but I'm gonna (laughs) but I actually I started writing that book just as a journal entry just as a way for me to get out my emotions about loss Um, I had I started writing right after my dad passed away from Alzheimer's related complications but he would always tell me like, son, you need to document your, your uh, significant emotional events and document those things, those times that really stood out to you as important parts and, and pieces of your evolution and your, your growth. Mm-hmm. And so um, as I was writing that, I realized, oh, moving from place to place were losses, right? Um, and then I wanted to talk about my sister in this book as well, whom I lost um, just before I went off to college. It was December of 1992, and um, she was murdered at that time. And, and so I wanted to, um, and that's why therapy was so helpful for me while I went to undergraduate, because I was trying to make sense of all these losses, right? Losing, leaving home. Uh, losing my sister, my best friend at that time, um, and just trying to navigate this, all this newness. So, you know, when I look at grief and loss, knowing that I've been through those things was really important for me to then offer that, again, that gift of healing to to other people. And then uh, when it comes to trauma, um, I had been working on a military base for several years as a contractor and I was part working as part of the PTSD uh, or post-traumatic stress um, and TBI or traumatic brain injury initiative. And I started seeing a lot of people with trauma, which was a continuation of you know, working in the school system in DC prior to that, I was seeing a lot of kids with the trauma. Um, so now I'm just seeing a lot of adults with trauma and uh, recognizing that there are other ways to deal with some of that trauma. Um, and I kind of went on a, a search for different tools and techniques to help folks through their trauma or, you know, as they process some of their trauma. So that's why uh, the trauma. And then uh, anxiety, I think it's just a, a, um, a part of the, the, the continuum of depression um, and so, you know, it's, it's about energy and it's either a lack of, or a lot of, 
and uh, learning how to help people cope with some um, some of that. I mean, and that's a very cursory way, by the way, to explain. And I don't want to explain it in that way to diminish, um, you know, those those different diagnoses, but really just more so how I how I view them and how I'm working with with people. So. Well, you gave a, a nice, long-winded answer, and that's not, I don't mean that negatively. I mean that positively, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I appreciate that, but that, that spawned a couple of other questions, and I'm going to hopefully not forget these, but the first one you already mentioned about your dad, Ernest T. Uh, Silas, and um, at one point I read someplace that you... Um, referred to your uh, father and dad talking about the importance of significant emotional events. And you kind of alluded to it in that uh, answer as well. Um, what's, what's the difference between a significant event and a significant emotional event? That's just my own personal question, because I've heard other people say, yes, if that's a significant event, marriage, divorce, you know, that a loss of a child, a loss of a loved one. But why, why add that word emotional event in there as well? So does that make sense? Am I making sense? It does. It does. I've never been, uh, I've never been asked that one. So that's, yeah, I appreciate you asking that. And I think part of it is with any of those events, they are, they, there's a lot of emotion attached, right? So whether it's marriage or having a child or moving, there are, um, a lot of emotions that go along with that. And so I think, you know, for him, he was, my dad was always a, a student. Uh, so he was always learning. So after he retired from the military of 20 years, um, he was always studying, you know, because for him, research and knowledge was power and, um, and being able to pass along that information and, and the importance of education was always important for him to do for us. Um, and my guess is he probably read about that somewhere in one of his psychology books as he was taking courses. Um, he was taking classes at the, on I'm sorry, not online. There was no online courses <laughs> back then, <laughs> but um, at the, the local community college, he would take courses but um, yeah, I, I think they're, they're both interchangeable, significant, mm -hmm. emotional, and significant events. Okay. And, and we kept talking about emotional. And so I'm going to share my screen because uh, I know that you are a universe member of Emotional Freedom Techniques. Tell us more about that while I bring up the website. And, and uh, I don't want our guests to get confused with another acronym EFT out there, but I'll get to that in one second. So tell me, how did you find, you know, emotional freedom techniques? And then uh, uh, why did you become a member? Uh, and I, I don't want to give away my next question here, but I'll start with that. So tell us a little well, bit more about EFT. Okay. And hopefully I don't answer your next question. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter if you do. Yep. <laughs> uh, but um, so I came across EFT, emotional freedom techniques or tapping as some people may or may not have heard it referred to. Um, when I was working on that military base as a contractor and I literally Googled ways, therapeutic techniques to work with trauma. Uh, because I was trained at GWU, it was a very psychodynamic 
background, um, psychoanalytic background. And so it was very Freudian in nature, um, talking about defenses and the id and the ego and the superego and all those things, which are amazing. They're great. And um, what I started to realize as I was talking to some of those service members who were coming in after being deployed uh, through Operation Iraqi Freedom or Enduring Freedom, um, some of them multiple times. I know there was one guy who had been deployed at that point five or six times. Um, I saw that having them talk about their stuff that they had seen, witnessed, had to do, um, it, it was bringing up a lot for them physically. Like I could see them clench up. I could see them um, that, you know, the, the blood rushed to their face. They were, they became very uncomfortable. And here I was trying to force them to talk and that didn't feel right to me. That didn't feel okay or ethical to me. Um, and so I, as I went on a search for other ways to deal with trauma, mm -hmm. EFT was one of the things that came up. And um, so I just kind of went on a journey and, and, and then went through my first training with Dawson Church and um, fell in love ever since. I was just, I, I, I noticed the immediate benefits just from practicing it. And then when I brought it back to the base where I was, and it was a, a naval slash um, and a lot of Marines on that base. But when I brought it back to the base, you know, I was like, all right, y'all. So I had like this really <laughs> weird looking technique. <laughs> Are you game to try it? And everybody was like, look, I, let's do it. I'm open to anything. You know, if it's, if it's not taking a pill that I don't really want to take, um, let's try it. And so I love that they were all open to, to trying such a different technique. Yeah. And, and I'm sharing the screen again, you have many different, uh, topics and, and techniques on YouTube. You have plenty of videos and as you can see on the screen, you even talk about uh, EFT tapping. And then even down below, you have different techniques. And then you have, I, I found some of these day one, day two, day five, you know, check-ins uh, are really helpful and, and funny in, in a lot of cases as well. But it goes mm -hmm. all the way through all of the different ways that you can apply EFT tapping for different phenomenon and uh, different diagnoses to help uh, alleviate some of those. And then uh, earlier on, you, you, you talked about some faith and religion and, and uh, um, the different ways you can apply uh, techniques and, and uh, to, to that. And then, of course, you, you talked about your book uh, uh, when it came out uh, uh, back then as well. So very helpful videos and very interesting a variety of topics on there. I wanted to point out, I know that I, I mentioned earlier, EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique, and there's another acronym. And so on our website, we talk about some of these, and I just wanted to highlight, just don't get it confused with another EFT therapy, Emotionally Focused Therapy, mm -hmm. which is a little different, uh, but a lot of people use EFT as the acronym. So unless you ask a little bit more about, well, tell me more about that, you have to clarify which one they're talking about. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that mm -hmm. you brought that up. Yes. Yeah. And, and thank you for. Yep. And, and you mentioned, and you, and you mentioned uh, in you're in Germany now, are you tell us some of your work, if you can, if you can't, I understand, but uh, tell us a little bit more about your work that you're doing in Germany right now. Sure. So um, as I said, this is actually work that I did several years ago. 
Um, and it's the title is a military family life counselor or military and family life counselor. And so essentially what I'm doing is I am working back with uh, kids, with children. Um, so, and that was my major. My major was child and adolescent psychology. Um, and so hence why I was working in the school system for many years after receiving my degree. Um, but I'm working with the children of service members and helping them adjust and adapt um, to just life as, as military children, as children who are constantly leaving or parents are constantly deploying um, or going on what they call TDY, temporary duty. Um, so that might be that maybe they're not deploying to uh, a war zone, but they're leaving for a month at a time. Um, and so that can be really challenging for some of these kids. So I'm working not only with the children, but also the staff members who are working with them and helping them um, learn different ways of being with these children and helping the families too, uh, because it's stressful for the families, especially if, you know, the kids are having difficulties in the classroom. I mean, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And so if you have a service member who's walking in after a long day and they're getting these accident reports or behavioral incident reports, um, it's a lot. And so really trying to work with all the different parties and, um, and what it's like in military life. Um, and, and then I'm also working with the older children, the teens as well. And so it's a nice mix of working with the younger and the older kids. And um, yeah, just it's more, to, uh, this, this uh, position is actually more short-term behavioral support. So it's less clinical in nature than what I was doing and uh, what private practice entails, uh, which is a nice, for me, it was a nice change, especially after COVID and um, going into 2020 and 2021. Those were really great. Uh, how do I say this? Wasn't great. I was, I was very busy during those, you know, from the moment that COVID hit in my private practice, um, mm -hmm. because then we had the, the um, racism being highlighted too. And so that was calling a lot of my attention and energy as well. Um, so I was doing a lot of work in this area and that area. And so actually doing more short-term behavioral support now is a better fit for me mentally and emotionally than uh, than staying in that private practice world for now. Mm -hmm. You alluded to something that my mom uh, had talked about earlier in her career as a psychologist is burnout. A lot of people don't really take that into account. You're the one who's going to uh, a therapist, a psychologist, psychiatrist to talk about things, but they're doing that time and time again. And so switch the role for a second. And it's probably a good thing that you made that change. So it gives you kind of a different, uh, almost, almost a respite and, and uh, a different way to focus Absolutely. on things. So uh, I'm glad yes. that you brought that up. Um, many of our guests on the program talk about different types of therapy. We already talked about EFT, both types a little bit and referring mm -hmm. to that other one. Uh, I also noticed that you are a member of the National Guild of Hypnotists. So tell us more about that and how you might have used or continue to use uh, hypnotism with your patients. Yeah. And uh, that was another thing that when I was working on that military base, I, um, came across because what I was noticing is 
as people were talking about some of their traumas, that they were trying to rationalize their way out of an issue that was emotionally based um, and or subconsciously based, right? So when we experience things, we lock it into our subconscious. So the conscious and conscious thought process is probably five to 8% of our entire thinking. Whereas unconscious, subconscious thought processes are a majority of how we show up every day. And so to, to sit with people and try to rationalize and, and consciously help them work through this um, also just didn't feel as right to me as seeing if I could take a backdoor approach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to me, a hip, hypnosis was that backdoor approach. Um, and then I met somebody who worked on the base at that time who he was a firefighter but he had actually taken this, this course uh, with this specific trainer in the Northern Virginia, uh, DC area. And he, he came in my office talking about it. And, um, and he did a little demo on me and I was like, I'm sold, like I wanna go now. And so I went for the training shortly after that and, and um, became certified and uh, started using that in my therapy sessions as well. And the one thing that I find interesting when I do a lot of research on my guests and other people that I talk to outside of the podcast is all these different techniques and how we in America are slowly but surely bringing in these techniques that have been around for ages in other countries. And now we're finally right. accepting some of these techniques. And, and uh, if, if you talk to somebody who doesn't really know anything about um, hypnosis, what's the first thing they're going to think about? They're going to think about Las Vegas and somebody on stage putting somebody, you know, in in that hypnotic state. Well, that's not Mm -hmm. what happens. Uh, I'm not licensed or anything, but I imagine that's, that's a different type of entertainment use of hypnosis if we, and I won't go down that road, but um, um, that's not what's happening in in the, uh, you know, client patient uh, uh, room when you're doing that. Nope. Nope. And, and really, it's we all are walking around hypnotized, right? Um, it's just being able to use it to our advantage. Right. The one thing that I, I uh, my last guest, you brought up uh, um, people trying to consciously recall uh, information. My last guest talked about memory and recall and, and the role it plays in psychology as well. So to me, it's fascinating to, to talk about how all of these are intertwined and, and on this continuum. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's definitely interesting for me, just as, as an aside. What do you love most about your current job, what you're doing in Germany? I, you know, I love just connecting, uh, connecting with the kids, eh? like they crack me up daily. <laughs> like, and I wear a mask, so a lot of times they can't see me crack up. <laughs> which sometimes is a good thing. Right. No, but um, yeah, just like connecting with their innocence and, and also like their wisdom. That to me is, is just the stuff that they say is like so deep and profound and they don't even know. Mm-hmm. Um, so like being able to learn those lessons from them. Um, but I also love that just in general about my job is when I'm working with people, whether it's um, on a, in, a, in a session or you know when I'm in the school setting, being able to learn from each other, it's a two-way street. 
and uh, we should all be learning and growing together. It's not, I am the expert and you are the, you know, the person who doesn't know anything. It's no, we should, because this is a relationship, we should all be learning from each other. And granted, I can, I can guide you in certain ways um, and simultaneously I should be learning. So um, I just love always being able to learn from clients um, and the ability to travel, by the way, while I'm here is not a bad part of the deal either. <laughs> are, are you picking up, I'm part German and part Icelandic, but I don't speak any German. Are you picking up some of the language? Uh, nine. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You picked up one at least. It's <laughs> <laughs> a kind Deutsch. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, mm -mm. I have a, you know, my, my cousins and my uncle and aunt, like when I'm around, they, they try to teach me and, um, I told them by the end of the year, I'll get it, but. <laughs> <laughs> so I have some fun questions that I usually ask our guests at the end of the, uh, uh, interview and discussion. The first one is what is your favorite term principle or theory and why? So honestly, like when I think about this, I just think about like the mind-body connection and that um, energy is, um, or I'm sorry, emotions are energy and motion, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we look at emotions as energy and motion, they have to go somewhere. And so it's important to just learn these different tools and techniques to, to figure out how to deal with them. Um, I love how Bessel van der Kolk talks about the body keeping the score. He says the body keeps the score. That's his book. And, and um, really learning that there's a connection between the mind and the body. And I love that there's more of an awareness, a growing awareness between those two. But before it was just like from the shoulders up or the shoulders down. And um, just the, the whole theory of that we're all interconnected, not only just socially, but, um, but, our minds and bodies are also interconnected as well. You actually answered my next question. What something new that you've learned recently, you actually uh, referred to that, but if you wanted to come up with some, something else, something that you've learned that's new recently. Mm. Um, well, so I guess there are a couple of things, but uh, just learning about myself, uh, learning the importance of balance, I'll say that. <laughs> and letting go of certain things. Uh, but what I'm also learning is actually the, the same thing as the importance of letting go. I'm actually going through a spiritual course through um, my mentor, Dawson Church. And we're talking in this, in this course about letting go of all the things we tend to hold on to and um, how hard that can be, but also how liberating that can be. So that's, that's what I'm learning. Well, it sounds like there's a good exploration uh, aspect to your learning as well. Self intro and as well as uh, outside of that. And I'm sure your, your patients, whether they're small, medium or large, uh, young or old, uh, probably appreciate uh, your transparency and, and the experiences you're going through and, and bring to the table too. So I applaud you for that. Do you have any other advice for those interested in the field of psychology or those who want to open their own practice? Any other advice? Yeah, I would say um, if the if the spirit is calling you to do it, do it. Um, you know, and you're not going to know everything, and that's okay. 
right? You, you have already accomplished a lot and or you're, the fact that you're even thinking about going into this field uh, just speaks volumes about you. And so it's okay if you don't know, find that support, find the community, find the people who you can delegate certain tasks, whether it's uh, the task of being your therapist, uh, the task of being your coach, uh, your billing manager, whomever it may be, but delegate and, and you, you'll find your way together, but keep learning, keep finding out what information is out there. There's a, so much information out there. So don't, don't do too much, like don't get overwhelmed, but find the information that is out there that can support you in whatever journey and whatever path you want to take. Great advice. If you had any time, if you had the time and money to do uh, one trip or complete one project, what would you do? Oh, um, <laughs> that's a good question. I guess two things. I would take a sabbatical because I haven't, um, like I've been doing this work for over like 22 years now, uh, mm -hmm. 20, 20 years and um, never have taken like a significant amount of time. So I, I, I would love to be able to just take at least a month to just be. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'd also take some time and money to complete my third book that I started writing uh, over a year ago. Can you give us a teaser on that book? That one is, is uh, about trauma and ways that we can effectively treat trauma. Okay. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to bring up uh, in this podcast? Um, just, I, I wanna just briefly talk about, uh, you know, going back to the freedom that, that I feel that I've been able, uh, been afforded with this degree, uh, but also being able to create, you know, and I think wherever we see and wherever the listener sees a lack, you can then create, right? And so um, being a part of really powerful movements, especially from 2020 on, um, I was able to be a part of and create a group called Black Tappers United, where it's a collective of, of Black EFT tappers um, helping the Black community uh, deal with racial anxiety and stress and trauma, but also uh, part of a platform called Movement Genius, where um, we've been able to create community and support uh, for underserved and underrepresented populations or people who may not otherwise be able to afford mental health assistance and help. Um, so really, it's always keeping your eyes and ears open for those opportunities, because where there's a lack, there's an opportunity. And um, I'm just so grateful for those opportunities. Well, I, I uh, appreciate you bringing that up as well. I, I had that on my uh, possible list of uh, topics to bring up, but I'll, I'll definitely add those links uh, on this uh, interview on our website for you. Damon, I appreciate your time and willingness to uh, share your thoughts and experiences. Thanks again for sharing your story and advice with us. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Psychology podcast. If you want to learn more about our guest or listen to other podcasts, you can visit our website, mastersinpsychology.com. 
where you can search through all of the schools in the United States that offer advanced degrees in psychology. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like, follow, or share.